0: Luke chapter number 24 this morning. Uh, when we come to Luke 24, we've come to the resurrection morning. And uh, the Lord has arisen in power and in glory. The women have gone to the tomb, uh, and they've brought spices to anoint the body. Uh, you might say, Preacher, why would they do that? Well, sort of like us when we go to put flowers on a grave. And let me say this, that uh, it's a sad truth, but it is the truth that a lot of folks, that's what going to church is. They're just going to put flowers on His grave. Amen. And uh, they came with the uh, spices and uh, the things to anoint. But they get there and He's not there. Amen. He, he has risen. He has done what He said He would do as God always does. And He has arisen in power and in glory. And the angels have met them and said, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. And then it says this, As He told you. Amen. Uh, that's one of God's I told you so's. Amen. As I told you. And uh, the Bible says in Luke 24, verse 13, we learn about another group of people that are trying to soak in and cope with the thought of the Lord's crucifixion and what all it means. The Bible says in Luke 24:13, "...and behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus Himself drew near and went with them." but their eyes were holden that they should not know Him. And He said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And He said unto them, What things? And they said unto Him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, how the chief priests and our rulers delivered Him to be condemned to death and have crucified Him. But we trusted that it had been He which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not His body, they came saying they had also had, that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that He was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher, and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things, and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them and all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further." But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread, and blessed it, and brake, and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us, while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the Scriptures?' And they rose up the same hour, and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way, and how He was known of them in breaking of bread. Let's pray together. Father, we love You. We thank You for this time You've given us. I pray that this morning You would speak to hearts, Lord, beginning with mine. And Father, that You'd stir my heart, that You'd deal with me this morning. And I trust and believe, Lord, uh, that if You can deal with me, You can deal with anyone. And so, Lord, I pray that You'd stir the hearts also of each and every person here. Lord, You know what is needed. Uh, Father, I just pray that You would minister to those needs for Your glory. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I'm interested in what's said in verse number 35. The Bible says they told what things were done in the way and how He was known of them in breaking of bread. Now, when the Bible uses the phrase breaking of bread, it is speaking both in a literal sense and in a figurative sense. It is speaking literally about sitting down and eating together. Amen? We can all say amen to that. But it is also speaking about the communion and the fellowship that goes along with the time of sitting around and eating together. You know, all throughout human history, uh, supper time has been identified with closeness and communion. I remember growing up, one of my favorite memories that I had growing up, my granddaddy lived just right down the road, about a tenth of a mile or so down the road. And uh, when I was growing up, my grandmama had already passed on, and uh, he was at home alone. And so every Saturday morning, he would come out to the house, and mama would cook a big breakfast together, and we'd all sit around. Now, the food was good, and I enjoyed the food, but it wasn't necessarily the food that made it so special. It was getting to see Papa and it was getting to sit around and spend time together. And I can still remember him sitting there with his John Deere coffee cup that he had brought from the house, like we didn't have coffee cups, amen? But he had his coffee cup that he had brought from the house, and uh, him sitting there and talking and telling stories and jokes, and uh, much of a bond was formed over the uh, uh, over the breakfast table. And so many of you, you have memories attached to times related to food. And it ain't just because we're all fat Americans, amen? It's because there's something special about that time spent eating together and communing together. Whether it's a holiday meal or maybe you might leave out of here today and go over to a loved one's house and have Sunday dinner. But whatever it is, there's something special about that time that we spend together. This is not by accident. You'll find all through the Old Testament, by the way, that God tended to work at the dinner table. Uh, over and over again, God would meet with people. We are reminded whenever He came by Abraham's tent door in Genesis 18, and uh, the, what did Abraham do? He went and fixed a meal, amen? And they sat around, and Abraham waited on Him while they ate, and uh, they talked and discussed things. And so communion around the dinner table is a common occurrence, and we might say that it has a biblical precedent. It's part of the reason we do a Sunday evening fellowship every Sunday evening. Hey, listen, if we're being honest, ain't none of us needs more coffee and cake. Amen? But we need the fellowship that we spend with each other. And in the same way, the Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ, they knew Him before this moment, but they came to know Him in a greater way, the Bible says, through breaking of bread. Now, you'll find one of the things that Christ did after He rose from the dead was He took time to sit down and eat with those that loved Him, both here and then later on when He sat down by the shoreside and ate a piece of fish and spent time with His disciples. And again, this was not by accident excuse me, by accident, uh, that he did this. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, would often sit during His earthly ministry and spend time with His disciples. Now, you say, Preacher, what are we driving at? I'm saying this. The only way you're going to get to know Jesus is by spending time with Jesus. And there is a different kind of bread that we break when we spend time with Him Now, uh, we don't sit down as some have purported to do at the Waffle House and spend time with them eating uh, hash and uh, smothered and scattered hash browns. Amen? Uh, but we I don't care if you commune with the Lord at Waffle House, but some folks, I think they've been having them jalapenos on and been having some bad dreams and seeing some things that ain't there. But I'm saying this, that when we spend time with the Lord, it is in prayer, it is in studying the Word of God, it is in worship. There we break bread with Jesus Christ. And let me say to you today, you may know Him as your Savior, but not know Him as your supper mate. You may know Him as your Lord, but not know Him as your uh, around the dinner table as your friend and companion. And the greatest thing that could happen to me and you today is that we commit ourselves afresh and anew to know the Lord Jesus Christ in the breaking of bread. Now, let me remind you again, we're talking about studying the Word of God, praying, spending time with the Lord, talking to Him and hearing Him speak to us. Now I want to give you a few thoughts this morning and then we'll close. Everybody come in waterlogged today. Amen. I ain't going to get no amens till you dry out. And that won't happen until 4 o'clock. I want you to consider a few thoughts with me this morning. Number one, I want you to ask this question of yourself. Why did they need to break bread? Now, let me say that there was nothing that was accomplished around this dinner table that moved beyond the scope greater than what He did in the lives of these two individuals. We might say that communion is directed inwardly, that God is doing a work inside of us when we spend time with the Lord. Now, that's not to say it won't have ramifications in our outward walk. Of course it will, and we'll see that it did for them. But whenever you spend time around the dinner table, hey listen, don't nobody go to the dinner table to watch somebody else eat. Uh, don't nobody go to the dinner table just to applaud the ability of the cook. Nobody goes to the dinner table just to appreciate the wait staff. We go because we're hungry and we want to eat. We go and eat because we have a need. Why did they need to break bread? Why was it so necessary the Lord appear to them? I want to give you three reasons that I believe mirror our reasons. Look at verse 17. The Bible says that the Lord spoke to them and said, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are, notice this word, sad? Let me say to you, number one, they needed to meet the Lord along this Emmaus road because they needed comfort. They didn't understand what had taken place, and they were trying to make sense out of what was going on in their life at this moment. But one thing they seemed to be convinced of was this, that somehow the work of God and the will of God had been thwarted, and in some way they felt they had missed out on something. They were devastated, and we might say this, not only did they not understand, but they were crushed because in their mind they had lost their Lord, they had lost their Master, and they were experiencing a sense and a moment of grieving. Can I say to you that we need to be spending time with the Lord because you and I alike need comfort in our lives. Hey, listen, I don't know about you. You may be ten foot tall and bulletproof. You may be made of cast iron. But I know me personally, uh, I need the Lord's help. I need His strength. I need His encouragement. Because there's times when life weighs heavy. There's times when things go wrong. There's times when things that I thought was going to turn out one way uh, turn out a different way, and that's what's happening to them. They thought it was going to turn out with Christ on the throne. Instead, it turned out with Him on the cross. They were expecting a crown of gold, and they saw a crown of thorns. And they are crushed by the way things have happened. And I'm telling you, listen, you may think you don't need it, but sooner or later, child of God, there's going to come a moment when can't nobody help you but the Lord. And you need comfort from Him. The Bible tells us He's equipped and able to comfort us. He's the God of all comfort. It's funny, you know, when people are young, and I I I have observed people when they're young, I've observed people when they're old, and, and one of the things that young people, they have this sense of invincibility. And that's normal when you wake up feeling good every day. Somebody say amen to that, but... Uh, You will reach a place in life where things will occur that you don't understand and that you can't control. And in those moments, what you need more than anything is for God to wrap His arms around you and hold you close and give you a peace that passeth all understanding. And I'm telling you this, you're only going to find it by spending time with God. They needed comfort. Look down at verse number 25. Look what the Lord says. Now, of course, we read the exchange, but I'll remind you of it. He asks them, he says, what are you so sad for? And they said, do you not know what's been going on? He said, well, what things? They said, well, uh, Jesus was of Nazareth. He was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God, and all the people, they took Him, they've crucified Him. He said He was going to rise again, but we don't know what's happened, is what they say. Uh, They say there's been some women been by His tomb, and say His body is not there. said they had a vision, said angels appeared to Him. Uh, Then they, uh, beyond all that, you know what they say? Uh, They say at verse number 24, the very last, they say, but Him they saw not. In other words, they say, "All these things have happened, but we still really don't know. And listen how the Lord answers them in verse number 25. Then He said unto them, "O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken." Now if we're not careful, this is going to seem harsh. We'll read that and think, well, here these people are. They're grieving, they're confused, they don't understand. And the Lord rebukes them. But remember why He rebukes them. Because they had at their disposal all of the Old Testament prophecies laying out completely and systematically and minutely that things would happen exactly how they had happened. It was not that they could not believe. I want you to listen now. It was that they would not believe. And that's why He says they're fools. He says they're slow of heart to believe. It wasn't that there wasn't proof. And by the way, let me say this, that faith is not a grasp in the dark, amen? Faith is, uh, is an effectual dependence on the promises of God, which have shown to be true and to be accurate and to be infallible. And God had spoken in His Word. They had all the resources they need, but they couldn't take the plunge to trust God with the situation. Let me say this, that not only did they need comfort, but they needed courage. Courage. They needed courage to look at what they, what their flesh said was a hopeless situation. They needed courage to look at and place their trust in God and say that it was a divine situation. And I'm telling you this, that in your life, there's going to be times you need to spend time with the Lord because you're crushed. There's going to be times you're going to need to spend time with the Lord because your flesh has you bullied and cowered in a corner and is telling you that God's done fell off of His throne and that God can't do it and that God can't handle it. And I'm telling you this, the greatest resource that we have for strengthening and for courage is the prayer closet and the Word of God. When we come to the Word of God, we're reminded of what God has promised. When we come to the prayer closet, we're reminded that God keeps His promises. And there, in breaking of bread, we can be encouraged and given a boldness. You remember what they said, and we'll talk about it a little later, but they said about James and John, uh, that they took note uh, of their boldness, that they had been with Christ. In other words, being with Christ gave them courage. What we need today, more than the courage, and I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say, more than the courage to tell others about Jesus. And we need that. Amen? We do need that in this day. But a greater need, more than the courage to tell others about Jesus, is to tell our flesh about Jesus as well. That God's in control and that He's powerful. Hey, I believe if we can get courage to do the one, we'll get courage to do the other. And so that primary battle is with ourselves. They needed courage. Look at verse 26. He says this, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things... And to enter into his glory, and then he did something that y'all are glad I'm not doing today. Verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerned himself, "Hey, you think you got it bad? What if I got in your car and rode home with you preaching at you the whole way? Amen? That's what my wife goes through. Every single week you pray for. They needed comfort, they needed courage, but they needed clarification. They didn't understand. They had all the truth at their disposal that they needed. But somehow they still missed it. And they just needed the wisdom of God about their circumstances. Let me tell you something. We need to be spending time with the Lord because there's times we're going to need comfort. There's times we're going to need courage. But there's going to be times, you mark it down, where God doesn't make any sense to you in what He's doing. And in those moments, only wisdom from above that's pure, that's from heaven, only the wisdom of God can light the path for what God is doing in your life. He went to the Word of God. You notice that, right? (laughs) We do the same thing when we break bread. We go to the Word of God, and that's exactly what He did. Of course, at that time there was no New Testament, uh, but He goes to Moses and the prophets, and He just goes right down the line and says, hey, don't you remember uh, in Isaiah 53 when the Bible said that the Messiah would be crucified, that He would be sacrificed as a lamb slain? Hey, don't you remember in Zechariah, uh, or in the book of Psalms, where it talks about that His familiar friend had lifted His heel against Him? Don't you remember in Psalms 22 when He uh, cried out, God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And systematically, he went through the Old Testament and said, Now, don't you see, this is exactly what God said would happen. Sometimes we just need to be reminded that God knows what He's doing. And we need to be given wisdom. So, they needed the breaking of bread. Now, I want to give you these three simple thoughts, and I'll be done. Uh, and we'll start preaching here in a little while. I want you to think with me, just as a matter of practical consideration, about the consistency of breaking of bread that's needed. Uh, we'd ask three questions, and they'd be summed up by saying this, where, when, and how much? And I think if we draw this line to our, uh, from, from our physical needs of eating to our spiritual needs of communing with the Lord, I think we can answer those in a way that's scriptural. Uh, first off, when we say, where should we eat? We might say this, that we do have to eat publicly, but we must also eat personally. You say, Preacher, what do you mean? Well, let me just put it this way. What if the only time you ever ate was in public restaurants? Now, some people do go through this a lot in life. If they, if they travel, if they're on the road, or uh, maybe if they, if they can't cook. I mean, I don't know why people do it. But for the most part, if the only time you ever ate was in a public restaurant, you'd go hungry. Uh, most of us, there has to be a public feast that takes place, but there must be a private one as well. And can I say this? That if the only time that you're ever hearing from God is when you're in these walls, you're starving to death. You're starving to death. You may not realize it, you may not be aware of it, But if the only time that you're in this Bible is when the preacher says, open to such and such a book, then you're starving to death. If the only time that you pray is when the preacher says, let's take up the offering and you bow together with those that are leading it and pray, then you're starving to death. You have to be eating personally. Uh, Some of my favorite meals are those midnight snacks. Somebody say amen to that. Those times when we go and raid the refrigerator and find whatever there is And we eat. And you know why we do it? We don't do it because we're expected. We do it because we're hungry. And I found this to be true. You might eat because you're expected to in public, but you'll only eat in private if you're hungry. And it's a good barometer of how hungry we are, how much time we spend in private with the Lord. Uh, there's been times whenever I, especially when I was young growing up, we'd sit down at the dinner table at someone else's house and there wasn't no arguing about it. You ate what they put in front of you. Amen? Because it was rude to do otherwise. And you know, sometimes that's how we do the house of God. We'll come and we'll listen and we'll read and we'll get a little bit because that's what you're expected to do. That's your responsibility, however we want to describe it. But if we're not spending that personal time because we're hungry and want to get to know God and hear from God, then we're going to starve to death. They, uh, had to eat personally. And then we ask this question, when? And we'd say this, we must eat prevalently. Now somebody's gonna take a lap on that, amen? We must, y'all right this morning? We must eat prevalently. Oh, I'm sorry. Eat a lot, amen? Often! That's what I'm getting at. Sometimes your alliteration outruns your congregation. And, uh, we must eat prevalently. What do we mean when we say that? We must eat daily. Daily. Don't nobody say, well, I ain't gonna eat today, I ate yesterday. We eat daily. We don't say to ourselves, well, you know, I ate a couple weeks ago, I don't have to eat today. And, you you know, for some odd reason, we'll say to ourselves, well, I read my Bible yesterday, I'll be all right without it today. You remember the children of Israel in the wilderness? God gave them manna from heaven. And the Bible says that every single day they had to go out and they had to collect that manna. If they did not, then over the night it would spoil and worms would eat it up and it would go rotten. And in the same way I found this that if we're not spending time daily with the Lord, that the thing that we got a few days ago, it won't mean nothing to us a few days later unless we're spending time daily in the Word. We need to be spending time daily in the prayer closet. if we ask the question when we could say we must eat prevalently, and then if we ask this question, how much how much should we eat? how large should our appetite be, and when should we stop eating if when we ask when we say when should we start? Then when we ask how much, we're asking, when should we stop? I found this in life, that I don't have a problem uh, with starting. I have a problem with stopping. Somebody say amen to that. That's true at the dinner table and in the pulpit. And uh, uh, I have a problem with stopping. Well, when do we stop? Well, when do you stop eating? We might say this. There's two understandings of it. One, you eat till you're full. You eat till you're full. Now, I didn't say you eat till you're getting ready to vomit. Amen? <laughs> We're all guilty of that too. But you eat until you're full. You eat until the hunger pains go away. I've found that most of the time when we try to relegate our time spent with the Lord to some, time, uh, some type of delimiters, say, so well, I'm going to spend ten minutes, well, i going to spend five minutes, God don't always show up after five minutes. God don't always show up after ten minutes. In the same way, I, I, I've committed myself in the ministry and preaching to preach until God's done with me, because I don't know when God's going to be done. He may show up after 15 minutes, although you all say we ain't seen it. Amen. But you eat until you're full. But then there's a second consideration there. You're never going to stop getting hungry. As, an, as a human being, you're never going to stop needing food. You're always going to keep getting hungry. I see these billboards sometimes, and I'm sure you've seen them too, that say, End Child Hunger. I've always sort of chuckled within myself. I, 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 because you can, listen, you can end child starvation. You can end child malnourishment. But those of you that have raised teenagers know that you can't never stop child hunger. You can feed them, and the next day they'll be hungry again. And with teenagers, the next ten minutes they'll be hungry again. You're never going to stop getting hungry. And in the same way, spiritually speaking, hey, listen, until we get to glory, there's never going to be a time where we can put our Bible down and close our prayer closet. We need to be spending time daily with the Lord and you'll never reach a place where you say, hey, I've reached spiritual nirvana. I don't need to spend time with God. I don't need to commune with Him. In your life, there will never be a time where you don't need to know Him in breaking of bread when we consider the consistency of it, we must eat personally, personally, prevalently, and perpetually. But I want you to notice the conditions of it. Now, the Lord, He don't just sit down and eat just anywhere. He has certain conditions that must be met. And I think we see them in our text here. I want you to look back at verse number 27. The Bible says, "In beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself." And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. Now, I want you to just uh, use your imagination with me for a moment and consider this. What if Christ had started testifying to them of the truth of his messianic personality? What if he had started to tell them from Moses and the prophets, and they had stopped him? And they had said, oh, Well, that's good. That's all right. We're not interested. We don't want to hear it. He would have departed from them then. He would have never went home with them. He would have never wound up at the dinner table with them. So in other words, before he could get to the dinner table, the Word had to be expounded. And I might say this today. uh, He breaks bread where there's witness through the Word of God. You want to meet with God? Start by going to the Bible. You want to hear from God? Start by opening your Bible. That's where it all begins. Where there's no witness, hey, God's not going to commune with His people. It's part of the reason. Listen, there's been times when, uh, you know, I, we, we've had services, it's just got plumb out of the banks, and, and, you know, we ain't done much more than just a little bit of exhorting, you know. But I found this as a general rule in the house of God. The vast majority of the time when God's doing business in hearts is when preaching's going on. Now, I want to be very cautious what I say, but I believe you'll understand me. I love singing. I love testifying. But you hear people sometimes, they'll talk about church, and they'll say, Hey, it was wonderful the preacher didn't even preach. You've heard it. I've heard it. Now, I would say this. I I can't understand what they mean. I have been in services where God showed up in such a mighty way that before the preacher preached, folks started flooding the altar and getting right with God. I understand that. But I fear that some of our brethren get to a place where the metric is this. If we can keep the preacher from preaching, then we've had a good service. And I'd remind you of this, that listen, there are things that singing can do that preaching can't do, but there are also things that preaching does that singing can't do, that fellowship can't do, that prayer meeting can't do. Hey, God's chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that perish. And there's nothing can dethrone the place and the prominence of preaching in the economy and structure of God's house, where there's witness. And then personally speaking, I would say this. Listen, we've started writing this little devotional. In fact, it's one of the things I was going to mention in the uh, in the uh, announcements whenever we were making. I'll say a word about it at the end of the service. We've started doing this devotional and writing a little thing along with a Bible reading plan. I think it's good. I wouldn't be spending my time doing it if I didn't think it was good. But listen closely. Hey, those devotionals, they can't replace the very inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. Hey, they're good, but if you're not going to the Word first, you're still going to starve to death. And so many Christians, and this is and I'm just going to say it because I believe the Holy Ghost wants me to, so many Christians are starving to death. You wouldn't know it to look at them, but you can tell it by the carnality that's pervasive in their life. That's present because there's an absence of spiritual depth. He shows up where there's witness. Then notice what it says in verse 28. I think it's pretty interesting. The Bible says, "...they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further." Now, why does the Bible say it that way? Is it saying the Lord was not genuine? No. The reason it says it that way is because He knew what was going to happen before it ever happened. And so when it says He made as though He would go further, what it's saying is this. He had every intention. Had they not stopped Him, He would have just kept on traveling. But He made as though He would go further because He knew what would happen. But they the Bible says they constrained Him. You know how we could say that? They grabbed hold of Him. And they said, oh, no, don't go. We Southerners, we're good at this, Amen. Every time somebody goes leave our house, you ever had somebody stay at your house till two in the morning? They get up and leave, and you go, Hey, what are you rushing off for? A bunch of liars is what we are. We're thinking, I wish you'd left two hours ago, Amen. We'll say, Hey, what are you rushing off for? They've been there twelve hours. They ain't rushing, Amen. They're just worried that somebody's going to break into their house while they're gone. But we say that we constrain people to stay. And when he was passing by, he cons- uh, they constrained him. And I would say this, uh, one of the conditions is there must be witness. But I'd say this, one of the conditions is there must be a welcome before he'll meet with us. And there can be true breaking of bread. We have to want him to. And this is where a lot of us miss it. We know we should. We know we need it. But we don't want it. And part of that is because we have fed ourselves. I'm reminded of Isaac whenever uh, uh, Jacob brought in the venison uh, and he was uh, pretending to be Esau, his brother, and he gave that, uh, that venison unto his father Isaac and he ate that venison up. And later on when Esau shows up bearing venison, Isaac, he smelled it and he said, Hey, I'm full. I can't eat anymore. So many of us, that's our problem. We're not spending time with God because we're spending time with the world. Uh, we've already filled our bellies on the venison of carnality and then when god shows up with the bread of life we've got no appetite for it if we'd wait on god and seek god and keep our affection on things above then when come time to meet with the lord be it at the house of god or be it in our personal prayer life and our uh, personal study time we'd say hey i need to be fed i'm hungry I'm hungry. So many of us are full of the world. We don't desire the Lord. There's got to be a welcome. You've got, to, you've got to want Him to be there. You've got to desire Him to be there. You've got to set your affection on Him and desire His presence. Then look at verse 30. I always thought this was interesting. The Bible says, "...and it came to pass as He sat at meat with them, He took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them." Now, when you read that, it may not have any kind of impact to you. You think, well, He was the one that passed the cornbread. Big deal. But in an Oriental home, in a Middle Eastern home, for this to take place, there was only one person that would break bread in the house. That was the master of the house. Uh, it was his responsibility, it was his duty, it was his place of honor uh, to take that bread and to break it. So what does Jesus do here? He comes in as a guest and becomes the governor. He comes in, hey listen, just as a friend, and he takes over. And you know, I found that's what he'll do if we'll invite him in. If if we'll invite him in, he'll take over. He'll grab the bread and start breaking. You know, our problem is we want him to walk up the driveway carrying a loaf of bread before we'll let him in the door. If instead we go to the Word of God in faith, go to the prayer closet in faith, spend time with the Lord in faith, you know what we'd find? The bread's already there. Uh, We don't need new bread. Amen? The bread's just fine. We don't need new bread. We just need this bread to be broken and open to us. And he's able to do that. I'd say this, that where there's witness and where there's welcome, but also where there's worship. Where there's worship. There is such a thing as corporate public worship, and it has a place in the life of the child of God. But worship is also not something that is constrained only to the house of God. Now, I, listen, the, these, these jokers that say, well, I don't go to church, I worship God at the golf course. You're a liar. You don't worship God at the golf course. I've been to the golf course. The only oath going on at the golf course ain't oaths of commitment to God. Somebody say amen to that. God's able to meet with people anywhere, but I am saying this, that His, His preferred, His accepted, His scripturally precedented place of dealing with His people is the house of God, but it's also in their private prayer life and time of study with the Word of God. In other words, we have to do this. We have to submit ourselves and put Him in charge. Worship is the act of lowering ourselves and exalting Him. Worship is the act of making much of Jesus Christ and exalting His name while at the same moment confessing our inadequacy and our inability. What they were doing around this dinner table was worship. You know why? Because they gave the bread to Jesus and said, Lord, we need You to break it. And He took it and He opened their eyes to it and He broke that bread. But had they kept it, it could have never happened. And in our lives, when we come to the Lord, we have to submit ourselves unto Him. When you open this Bible, you ought to open it knowing it's God's Word and that God has the ability to speak to you through it and saying to yourself and within your heart, within your mind, whatever God says to me, that's the truth and I'll accept it and I'll obey it. Hey, put the bread in His hands and let Him break it. And He'll do so. Well, finally, I want you to notice, and I'm done, there were some consequences of this breaking of bread. Hey, nobody breaks bread with Jesus and goes away the same. If you'll spend time with the Lord, it'll change you. And I want you to notice three things it brought about. Look at verse 31. The Bible says, "...and their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight." Let me say, number one, that there was a beholding that took place when they broke bread with him. All this time, they didn't know it was Jesus. He had been working, he had been ministering, he had been teaching, and they didn't know it was Jesus." But you know what happened? When they broke bread with Him, all of a sudden in a moment, they said, hey, that was Jesus walking with us. That was Jesus revealing truth to us. That was Jesus that came into this house. That was Jesus that broke that bread. All of a sudden in a moment, they had been looking for Him and looking for Him and looking for Him, and He was there the whole time. And it wasn't until they broke bread that they finally saw what He had been doing in their life. You know, I found this to be true, that when I spend time in fellowship with the Lord, I don't understand everything that God's doing, but I do understand that God's doing everything. I don't understand all the things that He is controlling, but I do learn that He's in control of all things when I spend time with Him. And I found this, that when you spend time with Him, you get to know Him better. And you get to where you can recognize what He's doing in your life, even if you don't understand all of it. You can at least take courage knowing God's working in your life. So many of us, were like these two disciples. We're walking down the road, poor-mouthing, down in the mouth, complaining, grumbling, because we think God's forgotten about us. But hey, listen, Jesus could have been anywhere in the world at that moment, and in a sense, He was everywhere in the world. But in a special sense, He came by the way of two of His disciples that were discouraged and frustrated and confused and began to minister to them and deal with them and encourage them and strengthen them. Hey, Jesus took note of them! But they didn't see it. In the same way, you'll find this. As you spend time with the Lord, you'll find that God's doing more in your life than you think He is. There was a beholding that took place. Let me say number two. Look at verse 32. The Bible says, And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us? While He talked with us by the way and while He opened us the Scripture, there was a burning that took place. When we think of this burning that took place, we obviously we, and I believe this is what they meant by it. I believe they meant He was convicting us. He was stirring us on the inside. But you know, fire has the ability both to destroy life and to bring forth life. Fire has the ability to clear away what's rubbish and to refine what's precious. And you know what we'll find? If we'll spend time with the Lord, His Word will burn within us It'll change us from the inside out. It'll clear away things that ought not be there. And it'll bring to the forefront things that give God glory and things that should be there. It'll purify our lives. If we'll spend time with Him, then God will do a a, a burning, a refining work in our lives and hearts. There was a burning that took place. Hey, listen, if you think the Bible's dead, it's because you ain't been reading it. I'm going to say that again. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to say it, and I'm just going to let it lay there for a moment. Okay? You ready? If you think the Bible's dead, you ain't been reading it. The Bible's not a dead book. We may be dead in our walk. We may be dead in our, in our uh, spiritual fellowship. And, and I'm not talking about lost. Now, if you're, if you're lost, then you are spiritually dead. And there's no remedy but the cross of Calvary. But I'm talking about even saved people uh, that are eternally secure and saved and ain't never going to die and go to hell, but their spiritual life has withered on the vine and died. It, it may be you, but it sure ain't this book. If we'll break bread with them, there'll be a burning. And then finally, I want you to notice there was boldness. Bible says in verse 33, "...and they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon." Look what it says in verse 35, "...and they told what things were done in the way, and how He was known of them in breaking of bread." Stop and consider this for just a moment. Whenever this whole thing starts, you know what they did? They were saying, there's all this proof, but can we really believe? There's all these things that have happened, but Him they saw not." And now after they've spent time with the Lord, they come and find these same disciples. And these same disciples are sitting there saying, The Lord is risen indeed. He's appeared unto Simon. You know what they say? They say, Yep, I know. We saw Him. We spent time with Him. At first, they're careful and fearful to profess that He's risen. But after they've been spending time with Him, friend, they know that He's risen. And they're not careful. They're not fearful anymore. Now they're telling everybody they can find, hey, Jesus is rose from the dead. He's alive. He's powerful. He walked with us. He talked with us. He broke bread with us. He's spending time with His people and His followers. He's not dead. He's not rotting away in a grave. He's alive in a well. He's conquered death. He's conquered hell. He's risen victorious from the grave. They were bold to share it after they have been spending time with Him. You know, if you're like me, them you say, Well, I pray I'm not. <laughs> but if you're like me, there's times when you know you ought to be witnessing to people and you do witness to people, but you think to yourself, Well, boy, I hope God can do for them what he did for me. You ever thought that? You ever seen somebody, life such a wreck and you thought, Boy, I, I just I just I hope they'll get it, and I hope it'll really change them, and I hope their life will be different. You know what I've found? The more time I spend with the Lord, the more I'm reminded that He's mighty and powerful to save and to change because He's working in my life, and if He can change me, He can change them. The more time I spend with the Lord, the more I'm reminded that indeed He is risen, He is powerful, He can save, He can redeem. When I'm not spending time breaking bread with Him, my flesh gets in the middle there and starts to make me doubt, and starts to make me wonder, and starts to make me cower. But the more time I spend with the Lord, the more emboldened I am to be a witness for Him. Only by breaking of bread and we have that boldness. Hey, listen, I hope you're spending time daily with the Lord. If you're not, it, is, it should be the number one priority in your life. There should be nothing that comes before that, spending time with the Lord. If you're not doing it yet, and I'd say this, let me encourage you in this. Young families, I believe that every single child and everything, every single spouse deserves to hear every word of the Word of God read in the voice of the head of the home. Your children... You owe it to them for them to hear the Word of God read in the voice of their daddy. Your, your spouse, you owe it to your spouse for them to hear the Word of God read in the voice of their husband. Your number one priority ought to be spending time... But listen, some of, some of us, not some of us, some folks, some of you is what I'm really trying to get at, but I'm getting nerve up enough to say it. Some of you, you don't read with your family because you're not reading to yourself. If you ain't spending time with God personally, you ain't going to spend time with God with your family. You need to get that straightened out first. You need to commit yourself afresh and anew to being faithful to the prayer closet and faithful to God's Word and spending time breaking bread with Him daily. And then, uh, husbands, once you've made that commitment, you need to make that commitment for your family. You say, preacher, I can't speak for my family. Oh, yes, you can. You're the head of the home. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And hey, he wasn't just talking about Just those that lived in his tent either. He was talking about his whole household. You and you alone have the authority to lead your family in God and to God. You and you alone. Wives, listen, you can't be the wife your husband needs. And he does need you. You can't be the wife your husband needs if you're not spending time with your Savior. Day in, day out. Your children, wives, mamas, your children need you spending time with God. Your husband needs you spending time with God. Your extended family needs you spending time with God, breaking bread with Him. And listen, kids, there's a lot of things you say I can't control in life, but you and you alone control your walk with God. No one can keep you from God. Nobody can make you go to God. And you and you alone can make the decision that you're going to know Him in the breaking of bread. Read your Bible. Preacher, I don't understand everything about it. I've got bad news for you. You ain't never going to understand everything about it. But if you'll spend time with Him, you know what you'll find? You'll get to know Him better and you'll get to learn him more.